What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the City Image Podcast. It's your boy, Pastor Rich, a.k.a. Young Flatbush. I'm here with my bros. To my left, we got Danny, the creator. In the building. Mad gorgeous today. Oh, man. <laughs> you guys. Yo, his hair my looks goodness. like perm and press. Oh, my gosh. My goodness. Fantastic. You know? And across from me, none mm. other than Brian. The theological giant. Woo woo! Oh yeah, back Man. like I never left. Come on, it was so good. So so good. <laughs> so yeah, man, we got a dope episode lined up for y'all today. But before we get into our main segment, man, we just got to talk about this, man. I just want to let you know. As a black man, I'm never drinking Pepsi ever again. <laughs> right? Coke for life. Yo, know what I'm saying like I just, bro. Can we talk about this? Like this Pepsi Gate commercial. Um, First of all, I need offended. y'all to recognize that Kendall Jenner is the new MLK for our generation. Ooh. Okay. Oh my gosh! Pepsi made that official. Because <laughs> like when I think social justice, I go Kendall Jenner. <laughs> That's who comes into Sounds like my you're saying mind. Kendall Jenner. <laughs> Kendall, Kendall. You know, the whole uh, family. I mean, I think hmm. the Kardashian family, they are just beacons of light for social justice and righteousness mm. in the land. And just Pepsi just could not have made a better choice in their selection. Yeah. Oh, goodness. <laughs> wow. Who knew yeah. social justice was the new way to profit? Yo, mm. come on, that's like, real. That's that's real. Yo, and it's it just goes to show you um, that a lot of these corporations are just out of touch. They're just out of uh, sync with what's happening, and they can think to themselves, "How can we make money? Anything is on the table." You know, as they can try to crouch it as we're relating to the masses and relating to the people, but ultimately. It's about what can make them money. That mm. that's that's the fundamental, and, and nothing nothing is off limits when they start thinking in that mode. Yeah, so. you know, I think what's crazy is that I'm sure everyone in, in in whatever board board or conference room when they came up with this idea was like, "Wow, this is amazing." You know, we're going to connect with uh, this group of people. <laughs> connect with the <laughs> urban. You know, the, those urban uh, urban people. Inner city. Who, you know, love fighting for social justice. Yeah. Um, and it just backfired right in their face. Um, yeah. So even just the fact that, like, um, that can happen um, really just speaks to, like, the how out of touch they actually are. You know? Yeah, but I, th- I still think it's worth a try, man. Next time we get pulled over, just... We bought a Pepsi can, Pepsi. you know, <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> like, look, man, you cannot shoot me right now. I have a Pepsi for you. <laughs> I really think that's, that's all you need. Right? <laughs> that's you were just thirsty. You were just thirsty. <laughs> trying to kill nobody. <laughs> it's like <laughs> Snickers <laughs> for cops. <laughs> like, yeah, you're you're walling out, man. Sugar. Just drink, <laughs> just drink, <laughs> just drink. Feeling <laughs> racist? <laughs> have a Pepsi. Have a Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah man i think to your point man it really like diminishes the the the, the urban and the, really the black experience with you know police officers and and 
Yeah. Just this idea that, like, you know, I'm watching it. I'm just like, yo, the thought that went through my head was like, yo, if I try to do that, they might think that Pepsi can is a gun. Yeah. <laughs> like, let me try to do that. Facts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Facts, man, he yeah. had something. It was blue. Uh, we thought it was a gun. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, man, like, it just... It just reinforced in me, like, man, like, this is another thing you couldn't do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so thank you, Pepsi. Appreciate <laughs> you know, the that. funny thing is, like, when the, after the cop drinks the soda, he does, he looks over to the other cop, does this little shrug, like, he's like, he himself looks, like, crazy confused. Like, he didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, like, right? Like, he, he's like, whoa, Pepsi? Uh, whoa, I didn't know this would work. Just drinking a Pepsi, and now they're... <laughs> it's like they're, a potion. <laughs> they're I'm cheering less angry. me on. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll take another one. Yeah. <laughs> you got one for my buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Pepsi's for everyone. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that but I, I, I think, as I was thinking about this, and I'm like, why would they do this? Why would they? Because uh, you're, obviously you're a business and you're trying to sell your product. Why pick social justice? Well, what motivates you know, these businesses as they try to sell their product is relating to the people. T- capitalizing on trends, riding the wave, we call that in urban context, right? Mm-hmm. And what's Edwish. sexy to a lot of people right now is social justice. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And it's it's like, if I can capitalize on this because the, the new millennial thing to do, even though we all know protesting is not something that we came up with, but you know, we look at the Black Lives Matter movement, for instance, and that's led by a lot of young people. And so there's this sense in which it's the new urban trendy thing to do even the song that's playing in the back is saying we are the generation that will be heard for this and so it just goes to show you like if it's for for a lot of people social justice is viewed as the trend to do it's the hashtag Mm. generation Mm. and a lot of people when they speak out on these issues it is to look cool it Mm. is to look fly it is to look woke and have people say oh you're really down for the cause and so I think Pepsi inadvertently exposed that mindset that exists ab- uh, uh, among a lot of people. And I think if we're going to uh, rightly protest injustice, we have to check our hearts. Are we doing this because we want to be cool? Is it trendy? You know, do I do I want other people to look at me and say, "Oh, look how conscious this so and so person is," or do we are we really in our hearts burdened for a just cause? That's mm. good, man. That's good. All I know is Coca Cola is Millie rocking yeah. to the bank right <laughs> now. Millie really rocking, man. Oh my goodness! Just, <laughs> the hundred year battle, or whatever. So, but let's keep it real. We just need to stop drinking soda altogether. Come Facts. on now, black people. This is listen. We suffering mm. from diabetes. <laughs> 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 we suffering from all high blood pressure. Mm. Let's just put it all down. I mean, if you have to choose, obviously it's Coke. But like, let's just stop. <laughs> <laughs> if you are gonna drink, drink it, <laughs> you better cook out. <laughs> Grab the Coke. But. Uh, Let's uh, let's chill on the soda all together. That's good, man. We need we need to hit urban context. All right, we need to stop, <laughs> we need to stop drinking so much soda. Yo, so much real talk. That's the real crime, man. They still trying to put get okay. us to drink <laughs> drink that soda in the first place. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm. That's what's so. up, man? Well, cool, man. So we're about to jump into our next topic after the break. We're gonna be talking about apologetics, man, and like, what does it mean? What is it like? Do we even need it? You know. How is it in the urban context? You know, do black people even know how to spell it. <laughs> <laughs> I still mess it up from time to time. <laughs> yeah. And I spoke to a theological giant. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I love your transparency. <laughs> so cool. Stay after the break. Apologetics.
Okay, and we're back. Mm. 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 Music is just so dope right now. <laughs> yo, shout out to Jude, man. Hits by Jude. Hits by Jude, yo. Crazy. Killing it. Um, all right, and so our, our kind of larger topic here, we're going to be talking about apologetics. Now, I know that sounds like a, a big word and almost impossible to mm. like apologize. What am I apologizing for? <laughs> it's, it's crazy. But... um. The word actually comes from First uh, Peter three fifteen to sixteen, or just fifteen, um, and it says, "But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you, yet do it with gentleness and respect." And so that word defense, I uh, may also say like a reason defense is. Uh, the word apologia in the Greek. Break it down, brother. Mm. Apologia. <laughs> Teach him, Danny. Right. And so the word um, basically just means a reason defense, right? And that word is where we could derive the word apologetics from, which um, um, has, has been defined as the branch of Christianity that deals with establishment and defense of the Christian faith. Um, but really what we're going to argue for is this, this is the job of every Christian, right? Yeah. Cause even so, based in scripture for, uh, Peter talks about, um, honoring Christ in our hearts, right? Always being prepared to make a defense for the hope that is within you. So really the basic, the basis of apologetics is really, um, giving an, an answer when people, um, kind of come to you and ask you, Hey, what, what is this hope in you that that's in you? Right. Um, and so yeah, I know, Brian, you have a, a scripture you want to read that even reinforces this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But even just thinking about that verse, um, we are to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that lies within us um, because we want that hope to line other people as well. Right. Mm-hmm. We have this great hope of uh, eternity spent with God in new heavens and new earth. And so that joy is produced from from this realization um, that causes us to want other people to be a part of this. And so that launches us into evangelism. And as we'll explain later on, evangelism inevitably leads to uh, having to explain your faith to people. But I wanted to definitely look at other texts of Scripture and by you know, all means recognize that this is not an exhaustive list. I mean, I'm just going to read another verse that's pretty clear cut, but apologetics is really all through the scripture, especially if you look in the book of Acts Mm -hmm. as the early churches spreading the gospel. But second Corinthians 10, five reads this like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So, uh, Paul essentially saying there that every idea, every worldview, um, everything that says um, essentially that the Christian faith is false, and we all know that there are entire systems of thought set up against the Christian faith, um, Paul's very clear, we demolish that, right? And so he may not have this uh, triumphalism attitude in the way he talks to people. We don't, he, he's not sort of, portraying some sort of prideful demolishing of arguments in an arrogant way. But certainly um, there is a sense in which uh, he wants to see Christianity triumph over anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Because honestly, if anything, if there is an argument that is 
holding people back from the knowledge of God. It's essentially holding people back from salvation, from knowing God. Uh, so um, he, he he's very adamant and forward about needing to uh, take every thought captive, um, sub, sub, make sure that all of our all thinking, um, all reasoning, every worldview that we establish is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And Christians are to be engaged in that endeavor. Mm, that's good. You know, even when you see, um, again, P- Paul in, in the book of Acts going to the synagogues, right? Um, yeah. Um, preaching the gospel, you know, um, when you see him in in Mars Hill, um, you know, uh, speaking um, to these Greeks about um, even their own literature, right? Yeah. And um, kind of defending um, the idea of, the, of uh, God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you see him giving a reasoned defense, right? And yeah. so, um, also just uh, realizing that apologetics is is not just this like high sort of you know uh, knowledge kind of thing, right? It's yeah. something that in the everyday, right? We're we're kind of called to do is just to give that hope, um, and just so one of the things we want to do is just really, um, you know, let you guys know that you have the ability to do it. You don't need to be studied in every aspect of every religion or anything like that to yeah. engage in this um um in, in this act right of giving a reason defense um and and even right now we're about to talk about what's the importance of it right and so rich i know you have some some stuff you want to say why, why is apologetics even important in the first place <clears throat> that's dope man um can i read a scripture too yes. oh yes. mm. come on pastor come bring, on, pastor. bring the word um, i want to read man philippians chapter 1 verse 7 uh, he says for it is right for me to think this about all of you because i have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. Mm-hmm. And um, it's dope because, man, like we have all partnered together here um, as well to defend um, our belief system. And so, man, like the funny thing is when we really look at that verse in First Peter, like, man, always be ready to make a defense. You know, the issue when I think about the community, man, is just like always be ready to make a defense right to be able to talk about the hope that's in you the problem is ain't nobody know you got the hope in you mm, nobody facts. even knows facts, facts, so, Brian, like when you're talking about like man like this is so connected to evangelism it, it, it is man because the only reason you would have to defend something is if somebody is attacking something mm-hmm. and for the most part the people in this city are not declaring what they believe. They are not mm-hmm. being upfront with their faith. And mm-hmm. therefore, they're undercover Christians, right? Mad ninja level stealth mm-hmm. Christians. <laughs> and so nobody's coming at them. So there's mm-hmm. really no need for apologetics in our context because ain't nobody saying nothing to you. Yeah. Um, just to piggyback off of that real quick. Um, every time I talk to individuals who say, what's the purpose of apologetics? What's the point of that? Um, it's almost always the case those people don't evangelize. Absolutely. <laughs> it's almost yeah. always the case that they have not been trying to share the gospel because if you share the gospel for more than five minutes, you will see Bruh. the need for apologetics. Um, and so, and, and, and just going back to something that Danny said, I think people have this idea that apologetics is this 
you know, big time scholarly thing to do, need a PhD, study philosophy type thing. But we have to realize that um, the second you answer someone's question regarding that's it. Your faith. That's you it. You are engaged in apology. You're in the game already. Right. So, and I think when we bring it down to that level, people begin to understand what we're talking about. So when, you know, you are talking to your friend about Christ and they say, you know, okay, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, my my grandma died of cancer uh, the other day. Um, where was God in that? Mm. The second you respond to that, yeah. you are now engaging in apologetics. Absolutely. And and it is not a sense in which, well, this is some sort of academic discipline. There is an academic discipline. There are people who get PhDs in this stuff. Right. But it's the same way you might have someone who has studied theology uh, or studied the gospel really well, and they can probably make academics points points about it, but that doesn't take away from the fact that a lay person needs to share the gospel, right? Like so the gospel's complicated enough to where you can kind of plumb the depths of it for years, but it's simple enough that a child can understand and we're so and we're and people who are quote unquote simple in terms of their education are called to share it. And I say the same thing for apologetics. There are people who study it and get degrees in it, but degree or not we're all called to engage in it mm, that's good yeah just you know reinforcing that point that you know um again god kind of has given us the, you know a wealth of of kind of information right like the ability to to learn and understand and you know um while you don't need to be a scholar and and, and it's not for everyone to do that right yeah um but you know we do need to do the work of learning as much as we can and honestly a lot of apologetics is really just based in knowing the the bible yeah. like just kind of that's it um you know i think when I, if someone asks me man what could i do to be better at apologetics really just understand you know cr- the christian faith <laughs> yeah you know what i'm saying right. understand that well um and then when other kind of competing ideas come in you're able to just respond based on what you already know yeah mm. yeah i would definitely say the main factor in someone's fear of getting into apologetics is their limited view of the Bible mm. and how limited they think it speaks to yeah. the situations that are happening in our society. If they knew the breadth of the Bible, like how much it speaks to the situations that are happening right now in your context in 2017, I think they would just feel a lot more comfortable. Um, but I do think that when people hear the word apologetics, they automatically just think like, okay, I need a degree in order to even yeah. be involved in this. And I think we really need to destroy that because like, <clears throat> that's just another obstacle, you know, like man, coming up, you know, especially in black and brown spaces, like there is a level of anti-intellectualism. Like there's a level where it's just like, we are looking for an emotional response when we go to the text or we worship or we're in church and Mm -hmm. we're not looking for any kind of mental, um, you know, like being poured into in terms of our knowledge base. Um, And I think that that has also created another fear. And then even past fear, it's almost like an anti-apologetics movement where it's like, okay, well, we shouldn't even do that. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I think that's important. And, you know, it's characterized a lot um, as anti-intellectualism. And I think when you, 
like for instance, if you're in a church, right, and you have a question for your pastor about, you know, coming up, right? I've heard, I've heard this many times. You ask, you know, I I left the church because I had questions for my pastor, and he, every time I asked it, he told me just to go in the corner and pray, right? <laughs> There's this sense in which, like, the overemphasis on power and you know, um, sort of like emotionalism, emotional experience, to the point where we've minimized the mind, minimized yep. intellectual study, minimized. Uh, all that as those, you know, theologians or those people, you know, and I don't, I don't need that. I got my Bible. I got yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so, listen, if you got a problem with it, it's just because you just got to read your Bible more, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and don't answer these questions. And so I think you when you embody that understanding, when you hear questions, you get intimidated. Mm-hmm. All right. And so you don't really want to deal with people who think differently from you because well you've kind of grew up hearing just read your bible more just pray more don't even reason with this reasoning takes you away from the faith right and so i think we definitely have to not see the mind as the enemy god wants us to love us with all of our heart mind Mm. and soul so you know thinking thoughts in accordance with how God thinks and forming your worldview and understanding it in according to how God sees and understands is glorifying God. Mm-hmm. And uh, apologetics is essentially being able to express that when people ask you questions. Yeah. And I, I, even in my experience, this sort of anti-intellectualism in the church, right, especially in the black church, has really kind of, I feel like, leads to not evangelizing to people of other faiths. Mm. You know, um, there's this either fear of, um, you know, not knowing or or even just like dismissing, right, other people and other faiths um, as just being foolish without doing the hard work of of learning and getting to know um, the faith or the people um, to be able to give an apology to them, right, to be able to share with them that hope. yeah, and so I feel like that that it kind of like has guarded, you know, has created a bunch of guarded people, mm-hmm. um, and then even, you know, when people get get outside of those circles, you know, um, you hear a lot of that, right? A lot of that. Um, well, like I found so much freedom in other things, right? Yeah. Um, because they almost they were okay with you exploring, right? Yeah. Um, truth or exploring faith, um, you know, creating that safe space for you to yeah. be able to explore um, ideas, right? Um, but, but, uh, you know, even as Christians, if we don't, um, kind of own that and take that in, we're actually creating, um, we're actually making it hard for people yeah. when they're in search, like to yeah. feel okay to question. So I, I, I think, um, going back to your question on, uh, why is it important? Uh, we have to understand that. Yes, we all affirm that God is the one who saves, mm-hmm. right? Everyone here on that table, you know, we're all reformed and stuff. And yeah. Mer- yeah, yeah, yeah. Monergism and jism or whatever. Jism. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> seminary, <laughs> seminary, monergism, jism. You know, so we all affirm that, right? But we understand that God accomplishes His ends through particular means, and He yeah. uses people to do that, and so. For uh, as apologists, which every Christian should be, right? Um, we are being used by God to clear away every type of um, hindrance, every type of um, sort of shackle of the mind that comes 
by way of false understanding, God uses us to clear that away as we give answers for our faith. And then uh, God brings about faith in the in the here if it's his sovereign will. So I don't exactly know how that works, but um, time and time again, I mean, I, you look at a guy like C.S. Lewis, who yeah. was an atheist for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I believe he was in conversation with J.R. Tolkien and they really, you know, had conversations about Christianity. And as he was really, you know, um, thinking through Christianity, he, he came to faith. Right. And so that's because he began to have a lot of his questions answered. And, and C.S. Lewis himself went on to be an amazing apologist. Yeah. So um, there is a sense in which God, in his sovereign way, uses um, people's answered questions about the faith to bring people to faith absolutely absolutely man and i also want to just go back to that you know the verse in first peter man like man always be ready to make a defense it doesn't say offense Mm -hmm. and man just for me personally when i first started getting into apologetics my motivation was whack bro like it was Mm. totally to dominate my what I consider to be opponents, mm-hmm. right? It was completely as a way to pick fights, mm-hmm. and like I would study for the purpose of man. When I I know when I drop this nugget on them, they gonna mm-hmm. have Jack to say to me, and I win, <laughs> right? Like it was a boxing match. Like I was trying to be the Mike Tyson yeah. of mm-hmm. apologetics. That's right. And man, what I found in that is that me trying to dominate people did not bring them to Christ. Mm-hmm. I had that motivation was not loving. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a temptation in us to see knowledge as God, mm-hmm. because we tend to put the smartest person in the room on a pedestal of holiness, yeah. right? We tend to equate the smartest person to the holiest person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or the person that's most obedient. And that's rarely the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Rarely. And so, man, like, I just want to, you know, for the listener out there who's just feeling like, man, yeah, I'm just going to get into these books and mm-hmm. I'm going to learn everything about Islam so I could go talk to my Muslim friends and dominate them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, man, like it talks about gentleness, coming mm-hmm. to them with love. And it's like, that's what prevents it from becoming an offense, man. Mm-hmm. It's a defense. It is as you share, they have questions. Be ready to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, not using it as a tool to hurt people. Um, and I've just seen that a lot of times, man, people really taking apologetics almost like a sword and trying to, you know, just trying to hurt people. And the other thing is that it gives you a false sense of spiritual maturity. That's so Absolutely. good. A false sense. That's because so good. What I always tell people is Yo, be you very, preaching right now. <laughs> be Yo, very, I better pay attention to this. <laughs> pay attention to this man so, right now. Uh, be very careful about your ratio between how much you talk about God and how much you talk to God. And so watch that ratio. Yeah. Because like (laughs) when I was on like the super grind apologetics, like I was like, yo, like I'm definitely, I'm like, I'm killing it as a Christian because I know a lot. Mm -hmm. And God was just like, I don't even know you. (laughs) You don't talk to me. And so like, don't ever think that learning, you know, chopping up uh, these different, worldviews and learning how to respond to people and learning all these different you know religious facts and philosophies that doesn't automatically make you closer to god yeah and so don't use apologetics as a fake sense of spiritual maturity like you still have to dig into your relationship with jesus because quite honestly in my experience 
I've had the most effective conversations with people when I'm trying to love them well and I'm trying to serve them well than when I did when I was just trying to kick knowledge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so good. Um, I know in my own, in my own story, um, coming up in a church that was really unhealthy um, spiritually and theologically, mm-hmm. like that made me like study. Right. And that yeah. made me really get into like theology and I became real smart, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, but the fact that it was unhealthy also meant that I, w- I was spiritually immature. <laughs> and so, it, you know, it's it's not till much later me having to really, like, learn uh, and, and even now learning to, uh, like, just simply obey, right? Come on, man. Like, that's really what it's about, simple obedience. We talk about this life for Christ. Yeah, so definitely with you there. Yeah, I mean, listen, having gone to seminary, I've seen in my own personal life and I've seen others and I've heard stories of others who have had theological training. And I can tell you <laughs> that knowing more theology does not equal Effects. obedience. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Now, obviously, doctrine helps. Absolutely. But yeah. the Holy Spirit has to apply that to your heart in mm-hmm. deeper and deeper ways. And that only happens through fellowship with him. That's right. So by no means can you say that I've accumulated knowledge theologically and understanding of other religions and I can tear on any worldview. And so I'm mature in Christ. And mm. for, for the longest while I thought that was the case. Me too, um, man. But you know, <laughs> yeah. when, when faced with your own sins and your own shortcomings, you realize, yeah. you know what? I'm nasty. Yes. <laughs> I'm a, I'm as desperate as the next man, and yeah. all this knowledge that I've accumulated is nothing like, without yeah. God's constant uh, grace uh, being uh. poured out in my life. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Even so, just to summarize this little section: apologetics, knowledge, important and necessary, but not ultimate. That's right. That's good. That was great. That's a fortune cookie, bro. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna make Christian fortune cookies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming back, we're, we're going to go to break right now. On the way back, we're going to talk about apologetic methodologies. Let's get technical, y'all. Let's get technical. Get your thinking cap on. We're, we're going deeper into the rabbit hole. Let's, uh, let's go. back city image is the best mm. i love city image <laughs> <laughs> we're working on getting some, some some dope drops made um but in the meantime we're talking about these apologetics though mm. boom so now we're talking about apologetic methodologies mm. apologetic break it down for them creator man <laughs> so basically throughout you know history right there have been uh, kind of ways and, and kind of approaches that people have had toward yeah. apologetics, right? Toward the defense of the Christian faith. And, um, you know, just kind of three major, three main um, methods um, are the classical method, the evidential method, and presuppositional method, right? And we're going to go through those, so don't get don't get too scared. Um, anyone, feel free to chime in if you have anything to say about any of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first we'll be talking about is classical, okay? And so the classical stresses rational arguments for the existence of God and uses evidence to substantiate biblical claims and miracles. Um, 
And so, you know, if you know anything about apologetics, you know, R.C. Sproul um, is classical. Um, one thing I'll say about this is it usually lends itself to philosophical arguments, right? And so a lot of like the old kind of yeah. um, church fathers were were be considered um, classical yeah. apologists. It's really stemming from Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. um, who came up with his, I think it was five ways. Uh, and, and, so, and so he had his um, cosmological arguments and theological arguments and these types of arguments that he would try to show from these arguments that God existed. And so um, from that, um, it kind of blossomed. I mean, obviously, you know, there was actually, um, even before Thomas, there was a lot of uh, even Muslims involved in in doing philosophical arguments, arguing for the God's existence. Mm-hmm. William Lane Craig's Kalam cosmological argument. Yeah. Kalam is actually an Arabic word. Right. So he borrowed, I think he borrowed from this a philosopher called Al-Ghazali or something. Mm-hmm. I don't even, I mean, not be totally, <laughs> Google it or something, but. Do your Googles. <laughs> Do your Googles. Um, the fact is that there was uh, a lot of di- theists just involved in finding these philosophical arguments for God. So um, it, it's very common to hear as you listen to debates between Christians and atheists, people start unfolding God arguments for um, the fact that God created the world, that there is uh, a order in the world and, t- and sort of like intelligent design type arguments, mm-hmm. arguments for um, grounding morality um, from God and, and objective morality only making sense if God exists ontological arguments arguing that um, God is the, the you know the greatest being p- greatest possible conceivable <laughs> being and so it's more perfect for God to exist and not exist so based on his own ontology he must exist <laughs> yeah I'm sorry I'm getting all mad technical but the point is this like there are these arguments that people put forth uh, philosophical based and found founded in reason. Right. That if you reason well enough and you interact with God's world well enough through reason, you can show um, that God exists. That's the whole right. point of it. Yeah. Um, I know for me, even started getting started in this, the cosmological argument was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. William Lane Craig. Oh, my gosh. William Lane Craig. That's the guy <laughs> right there. Yeah. Um, and even as we go through and discuss these methodologies, I'm kind of really showing the simplicity of what we feel like is more biblical. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it's not even, I mean, knowing these great arguments are, are awesome, but, um, it's, it's, it's really much more simpler. The next method we'll talk about is evidential, evidentialism or the evidential methodology of apologetics. So evidential apologetics stresses the miracles found in the Bible, particularly Christ's resurrection as an evidence for the existence of God and the validity of Christ and his words. It also uses historical evidences to support the veracity of biblical accounts. In this, it is similar to classical apologetics, which stresses reason in its approach to evidences, but its focus is on evidence, um, where classical apologetics um, focuses on more on reason, yeah. right? Um, and so really, again, evidential apologetics stresses evidence, such as miracles, fulfilled prophecies, etc. Um, and so you, you'll find people like William Lane Craig and, you know, or Mike Lacona, Lee yeah. Strobel, and is like the Gary case for Habermas, big on the yeah. resurrection. Mm-hmm. N.T. Wright wrote a huge yep. book on the resurrection. Um, so essentially trying to um, show from history and data mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that we can sh- have a high sense of probability that right. Jesus rose from the dead. Right. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, and we'll, as even as we go on, we're going to talk about the weaknesses of evidential apologetics, um, mainly that oftentimes when people talk about evidential apologetics, they argue for the probability yeah. of God, right? Yeah. They argue for, the uh, even in, in um, William Lane Craig's um, kind of position, for the probability of a God, not even yeah. the Christian God. Yeah. Um, and really, what we want to get into is uh, the presuppositional methodology, which we feel kind of more aligns with the Bible. Or, mm-hmm. um, not that the other ones are not valuable at all, yeah. um, but that this kind of more aligns with um, kind of the way the, the Apostle Paul argued, you know, in the scriptures. Um, and so presuppositional apologetics really just deals with the presuppositions, right, that people have. Mm-hmm. And so what, what does presupposition mean? Right. It's really the kind of things that you come into um, a situation already believing, but you kind of take for granted. Yeah. Right. Um, So, you know, every day I wake up and I, you know, I'm thinking. Right. And so I I even take the fact that I think for granted. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But meanwhile, like even behind the scenes, there's like so much going on. Right. Like logic and reasoning and. You know, I have these faculties that are ultimately upheld by something outside of myself. Yeah. Right. Um, which is God. And so here's two main reasons why, um, in my opinion, presuppositional apologetics is kind of the main um, or the, the, the more biblical um, apologetic. Basically, what happens when um, you're an evidential apologetic or, or a classical one is you're almost giving up your footing. Right. You're kind of saying, OK, I'm a Christian. But I'm not going to think as a Christian. I'm actually going to go and think of um, as a non-Christian, right? Or as if God didn't exist, and we're going to reason to God. But really, when you're doing that, you're giving up um, your footing, right, to go and argue f- with the other person from a non-God footing. And what the Bible talks about is that actually it's the fear of God that's the beginning of knowledge, right? The Bible talks about all the, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus, and so why would we, believing that there's a God, why would we give that up in order yeah. to go argue from something that we already acknowledge is foolish? Yeah. A lot of these systems that we just outlined before we started talking about presuppositionalism, or as Dr. Oliphant likes to call it, covenantal apologetics. Shout out to Doc Ock. Um, <laughs> Doc no. Ock. Uh, but he... Um, what, what they tend to argue, these other systems of thought... Uh, is that in order for you to prove Christianity, you have to not assume Christianity is true from the beginning. And so they will accuse Mm -hmm. presuppositionalists as as falling into circular reasoning. So the, the best type of apologetic is one that does not assume Christianity is true, sort of enters into dialogue with contrary worldviews, not assuming that's true, asking the person that you're dialoguing with to not assume their worldview is true. And then let's just use pure reason as or pure evidence to sort of establish that Christianity is true. Right now, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, um, as Christians, we believe that the fall has greatly mm-hmm. diminished our ability to reason. Mm-hmm. And so as Paul outlines in Romans chapter one, people are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So when you dialogue with an atheist who says he doesn't believe God exists, 
he isn't just saying that because there is this lack of evidence. He is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness because, as Paul says, um, there is um, a ton of evidence of God's um, attributes by that's being revealed constantly by the creation. And so we so when we say to the atheist, for example, and all the non-believer to uh, when we say to them, just use reason to come to the conclusion that Christianity is true. We're assuming that people are just reasoning purely out of just w- without any type of um, immoral stances in their heart that affects the way that they reason in the first place. Right. And so that's that's number one. Number two, in all t- reality, people don't r- abandon their worldviews when they enter into discussion. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's just not <laughs> true. Like if you tell if you if the atheist says all right let's just you know sort of not assume our our worldviews are true and let's just start having a discussion and reasoning he is going to reason according to his atheistic worldview so when you present arguments he is going to try to explain that by way of his atheism so if you make an intelligent design argument for instance that okay you see how complicated the eye is there's no way that could have evolved by way of uh natural selection working on random mutation or something like that he's gonna be like well i'm gonna find a way to explain that atheistically mm-hmm. he's not gonna be like oh that sounds pretty pretty <laughs> good yeah. you know like so everybody is using their worldview to help interpret the data because until they've been convinced that their worldview is utterly unable to answer for the data they're gonna reason according to that right and so it's it's faulty to believe that you can just, for the sake of dialogue, let's just not believe that the Bible is true, not believe that Christianity is true, forsake Christian doctrine, and enter into this neutral discussion. It doesn't happen practically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and even just to add That's on good. to that, you know, we talk about evidence, right? Evidential apologetics. Um, it kind of places um, us and the atheists almost in the sense of judge and jury. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Over God. When really the fact that we have any kind of knowledge at all is comes from God Himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. I think the tragedy of relying solely on an evidential um, platform for your apologetics is that it betrays how you came into faith, mm-hmm. and you were not. No one sat on a chalk, you know, drew on a chalkboard. A plus B equals you need to believe in Jesus. And that's how you came to faith. (laughs) So now chalkboarding for your non-believer friend isn't going to work for him either. But it's almost as if we forget that when we're in the argument. Um, And I think you guys just had a great point. Like, it's not about arguing about what we're looking at. We are saying the eyes you are using to look at it are broken. The very lens through which you are seeing what we are even talking about are skewed and so we have to address the lens not even what you're seeing because you can't trust what you're seeing because you are using a broken glass yeah that's a very good point too and i think sometimes um we when we enter into some uh, dialogue with someone and they have all these even intellectual objections i think it's best to not assume 
that their unbelief is just it just stays at the intellectual level. Mm-hmm. They might have this. They might mm. have these sort of intellectual objections, but I think the wise apologist says, "Okay, we can we can dialogue right. there for a sec." But let's. What's really going on? Exactly. Is it just that you love sleeping with your girlfriend? You don't want to stop. Mm-hmm. You know, or Talk is it like, it. or is it like the you know when you were young? You know, somebody that you loved passed away, and now you're, you're angry at God. And yeah. So there are these all these other issues that inspire us unbelief. Yep. And so to assume that, well, I've just got to lay out these uh, premises and this conclusion and this syllogism, and they're going to come to an understanding that God exists and become a Christian, it does not address the whole person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, unbelief is stemming from a ton of heart issues, moral issues, family history issues um and if we're not trying to have a informed conversation where we're willing to just probe where is this unbelief coming from we'll we'll forever be stuck kind of going back and forth on trivial philosophical things Mm -hmm. when we could be getting to the heart of the issue and i'll just say this i think we see a beautiful picture of this when Jesus is dialoguing with the woman at the well, where she wants to talk about what worship is on what mountain mm-hmm. on John chapter four. Yeah. And he's like, but, but you've had five husbands though. <laughs> like, let's get yeah. to why you really, or let's cut through you know all of that. Let's cut mm-hmm. through all of that. And so Jesus is going right to the heart issues. And so he's having dialogues with some of that stuff too, but he's realizing there are deeper heart issues that I'm trying to mm-hmm. go to. And I think the apologist, when he's doing his job well, is that he's cognizant of these questions, but he's also trying to ask himself, where is this unbelief stemming from? Mm-hmm. That's good. You know, it just reminds me, <coughs> just reminds me of a, a story from early on um, in my just believing um, life as a Christian. Um, they're, you know, g- getting really heavy into apologetics and, you know, having the case for Christ and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in college and there was this girl who, uh, one of my classmates who, man, was just distraught one day. And, you know, in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, like good time to share, you know, God and, and share the, the gospel or whatever. Um, and so I shared with her the hope that was within me. And, um, you know, I, I began to, you know, even if she had questions, you know, give her all this material about why God exists and why God is real um, and man, her response to me was crazy. Um, you know, really illustrates this point is that she said, yeah, you know, it looks like God is real, but I can't believe in him because, um, I have a friend who's gay. Mm. Right. Wow. And so it's almost like, and, and man, this person was so distraught and so heartfelt mm. needed hope. The ramifications. Right. Yeah. And they, here's the thing. They even, they even loved that i can offer them that hope they wanted it's like they wanted to believe but it's like they couldn't bring themselves to believe um because yeah. they, you know and then the bible talks about that it talks about you know people suppressing the knowledge of god and unrighteousness right it talks yeah. about the unbeliever not being able to even understand spiritual things yeah um it really takes an act of god to open someone's heart right to give them even what they desperately want yeah man if we that was so good, Danny, man. That, like, was good. that was very powerful, man. And again, looking at that verse in First Peter three fifteen, like give and give a response to this person for the hope. So what that scripture is saying is that the problem in the world is not people who have a lack of knowledge; it's the people who have a lack of hope. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He's saying the world is hopeless. Mm-hmm. And when they see the hope that you have, they want answers. Mm-hmm. They want to know how you have that. And so that's really our greatest weapon. That's our greatest vehicle um, in communicating to people is, man, I have a hope. Yeah. In the situations that you have, tragedy strikes, you don't got it. I yeah. got it. Mm-hmm. So we react differently when right. things happen. Yeah. When when the bad things happen, when the hurricane comes, when when the waves of life crash on you, mm-hmm. I react differently because I have a hope. You mm-hmm. don't. And when you see the hope that I have, you want to know how you could get it too. And yeah. that's how we start the evangelism conversation. Mm-hmm. It's about putting our hope on display. Yeah, that's, that's good. good. You know, at the heart of the presuppositional apologetic is, you know, understanding that the person that you're talking to, um, if they're like an unbeliever, they have a spiritual problem. That's right. Yeah. They have a heart problem. And so even the way in which you engage them, you're not just going to give them, you know, five evidences for the existence you're of God. You're not the BuzzFeed yeah. apologetics. You, you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> you're like, that's not going to help them. What's going to help them ultimately um, is showing them how even what they're presupposing to be true. Yeah. Right. Like it is actually like they don't have a basis for it. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, it could get as big and intellectual as talking about, you know, the, the existence of transcendentals and, yeah. you know, the existence of logic and like reason and yeah. morality and all of that. Like it gets as big and intellectual as that. Um, and it gets honestly as simple as like, man, you, you know, you love, you feel a feeling of emotion, Mm -hmm. like love and you care for people, Mm -hmm. you know, but you shouldn't from your worldview, right? If you're an atheist and all you are is, you know what I'm saying? All you are is just the chemical reactions and natural selection, you know, the morality of natural selection, right? It cares for nobody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so really pointing out to people. how How do you survive? Exactly. And so the strength and really pointing out to people their inconsistencies, um, you know, and then from that calling them and it's back to he's calling them to repentance and really saying, you know, you don't live like that's true. Yeah. You know, you don't live like that's true, but you live like you're made in the image of God. Yeah. Right. And, and so there is a God out there who, who, you know, loves and cares for us and you're made in his image and you're, you're just showing that you're evidencing that in your day to day life. Yeah. And so really, you know, you need to come to that God. Right. And then sharing with them the gospel. Um, and that's really the strength of the the presupposition apologetic. Yo, Danny giving the altar call right now, y'all. If you <laughs> listen good. to this podcast right now, just pause <laughs> it. Give your life to Jesus right yeah. now. Yeah. All right. He's calling you today. Yeah. Today. Um, so uh, some people might be thinking, all right, well, I'm sold. How do I how do I start this? What do I what do I begin? Um, I think the place to begin, if you really want to take um you know, being able to defend your faith more and more seriously um, is to just know Christianity well. Um, I wouldn't recommend going to study other religions and worldviews. And now if you're in a context where you're surrounded by Muslims or surrounded by people of a different worldview, yes, obviously you're going to have to eventually study what they believe. But you'll be surprised how many questions you can answer when you just understand Christianity really well. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of even sometimes you get into dialogues of atheists all the time, and they just have misconceptions about simple Christian doctrine and like these, you know, misunderstandings of of the Bible. And so, really begin to just understand Christianity well. So, I think what I recommend people doing. Um, 
is just picking up Wayne Grudem systematic theology. Oh man, and start reading through that. I had I had I bought my copy like like eight nine years ago. I lent it to somebody and just got it back. Yeah, like last week, and I'm just reading through it, man. Yeah. Just how refreshing it is to even just read about like um man uh, the atonement and yeah. like all the depth in there. Like really, yeah. it's it's amazing. So I mean. There, there are systematic theologies that get way more complex and Grudem and that sort of thing, but that's a very simple book that if you can make your way through that book, you will have a very good understanding of Christian doctrine, and I can, under, I can guarantee you the vast majority of questions that come your way criticizing Christianity, you'll be able to answer. Just off of that, right? So there, it's going to take work. It's going to take study. But again, you don't have to, I, I want to remind people, you don't have to necessarily be a scholar to do it. And there are re- resources out there that um, are, have been made simple enough for people who, with no prior expertise in Christianity to grow in their understanding. Mm, that's, that's good. Yeah. Um, and for those of you who just, you know, you may not be that academic, um, I don't know if I would agree with y'all. I don't know if systematic theology is easy read. Um, that, but, that one's <laughs> not that hard. But, yeah. um, but um, if you want a, it's a very intimidating book, just yeah. even size-wise. It's, it's intimidating size-wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it <laughs> but what I <laughs> would facts. recommend um, is still Wayne Grudem, something called Bible Doctrine, Essential Teachings mm-hmm. of the Christian Faith. It is essentially an abridged version of systematic theology. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that could be a cool place just to get started. Mm-hmm. Um, on Amazon, I'm looking right now, it's about $22. Um, and I think that would be a cool place to start if you've never explored. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you know you you, you feel like you could handle you know like a textbook style read, definitely jump into systematic theology. I, I can't think of a better resource for this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've never explored anything with any kind of depth or any um, book that is exploring the Bible from an academic perspective, I definitely recommend Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine. Yeah, another book, um, Mark Driscoll had a book a few years ago called Doctrine. Yeah. Um, and that was really good, really short, yeah. um, beautiful cover. That's yeah. It's good. good. <laughs> Mad arts. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, no, so Brian, I know you want to share kind of even how you got into apologetics. Um, you know, we all have stories, but I know um, you have one that's kind of directly related to... Yeah, I wanted to share this because I was that person um, who, before I went to go on to get two degrees in theology and amass knowledge from a technical standpoint, um, I was unlearned, right? Um, And my story is such, I'm going to give you the really abridged version of it, but uh, my story is such that um, when I was at Howard University, uh, I met up with a Baha'i, um, and I was studying the Baha'i religion for uh, a brief while, interested in converting to it. But eventually, um, through the Lord's sovereignty, I was um, made now. Uh, I, I got in with uh, some Christians on campus, and one of the Christians ended up sharing the gospel with me, and I came to faith. And I went back and I told my Baha'i friend that I had become a Christian. And this is the the very next day I told him I couldn't study the faith with him anymore. And he starts bringing me all these books 
um, written by Baha'i authors trying to show how the Baha'i faith is real and Baha'u'llah, who is a prophet, is the return of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. And so day one, I'm reading these books and I'm going online. I'm trying to find responses to what he's saying and I'm weighing the 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 books the the data being presented in these books and what I'm finding online and thankfully there had been by Christian apologetics a lot of things that have been written about the Baha'i faith and responding to their arguments and so I was able to enter into dialogue with my Baha'i friend having literally zero Bible do- <laughs> like honestly I was learning about the Christian faith as I was defending it wow yeah and and it's like so I just want people to understand like don't feel like you have to have all this knowledge. As a matter of fact, when people ask questions, take that as an opportunity for you to learn. Yeah. yeah it's perfectly okay to say, you know what? I'm not sure. Let me get back to you. Exactly. Yeah. And, and to go and do further study on it. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even for people who um, maybe you're, you're not at the point where like, you know, maybe you are ready for more. Right. Um, that's perfectly okay too. You know, within a, a good context of uh, healthy believers and everything to explore um, you know, other aspects of apologetics, right? Exploring other faiths, exploring um, even like, you know, Christian doctrine versus bad Christian doctrine sort of apologetics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's a that's big too. Um, ultimately, um, apologetics at its root, again, is being a competent, good Christian, mm-hmm. being able to give a reason for the hope that is within you. That's good, man. I think I think that about wraps it up, man. If yeah. you if you guys are interested, um, continue to leave comments and and reviews for us on the podcast on iTunes, yeah. and uh, we're definitely going to be we're definitely going to be coming back to this topic. It is just so big. Um, again, this is in no way the exhaustive um, take yeah. on apologetics. We're definitely going to be Pray. revisiting this. Yes, and so hopefully this was a blessing to you guys. Um, I just pray that it would give you guys a framework just for how you're defending um, your faith and how you're giving reasons for the hope you have within you. Yeah, and definitely, man, if you have any questions, hit us up at cityimagepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us at Twitter at The City Image, Instagram as well, The City Image, Facebook, City Image, search that out. Um, And so we're on there. um, And, you know, we we welcome all of your uh, feedback. Please uh subscribe to us on itunes we're also on google play as well uh so yeah man just interact with us and le- write us a review um and give us five stars hey, please <laughs> city image is the best all right guys so signing out man this is brian the theological giant mm, this is daniel the creator mm, mm-hmm. young flat but saying peace all right guys next episode